We are live, just so you know. Perfect. <laughs> As he slips on the his uh not I mean his first margarita, I should say. Yes. First margarita. So cheers. <laughs> Welcome to the Tango One Podcast, everybody. Cheers to you. Uh my guest, Kyle Gregoire. He is a very, very interesting man. We'll call him one of the most interesting men I've ever come around, uh, which is exactly why I want him have him on here today. He's a personal training client of mine, but more so he's become a friend and a mentor. He's uh, got an extensive background in all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, kind of, I, that's where I want to go with this whole thing is actually is why I wanted to have you on here. I want to talk to you about like being an entrepreneur, education, and all these kind of things that we talk about on a daily basis in the gym. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks. And we'll try and keep the uh, laughter to some sort of minimum so we could actually talk. But most of our sessions, an hour long, it's just a laugh every morning. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've been trying to like not talk to you for the whole <laughs> week because I didn't want to waste anything on this. And just so you know, Irv Kyle is the number one complaint guy for the podcast with the sound of this microphone. So if he's not loud enough today, it's on you. Got it? And Irv, where'd you get the glasses, man? I, I, I like it. I like it. I mean, yeah. So let's get rolling. So Kyle is a prankster, and that's what we were starting to talk about. But we'll get into that a little bit earlier. So tell me a bit about uh, Granulum and like how you got to be there. Because I know it's a very, like, maybe twisted yeah, story but weird. like you had the traditional education and then yeah so I'm there. a mechanical engineer by uh, education I guess uh, if you want to know somebody's an engineer just wait a minute they'll tell you um, started out at Ford uh, worked my way around a couple different su- companies up kind of down the supply chain actually over my career of, uh, I guess 25 plus years now and uh, kind of always had a an interest, I guess, a, a passion for the environment, but in a, like, I don't know, in a non-traditional way, not in like an activist way, but uh, just from a practical, right thing kind of do, to do way. And I learned it from my grandfather in, in Saskatchewan, actually, growing up with him. And he was always a guy that never wasted anything, that um, used every little scrap piece of wood he had on the farm. And I mean... He came from a different area, you know, he's, he was born in like 1903 or something. So, um, you know, grew up in, in hard times, uh, born in Poland, immigrated to Canada, really struggled as a, as a young man making his world, on the, his, his life on the prairie. So he left nothing to waste. And I think that just, you kind of just absorb that without knowing what it is. So it's always kind of been in the back of my head. So um, as I went through my career, um, I, I focused mostly on polymers and and elastomers in my background, but a friend of mine worked uh, for the University of Waterloo, uh, commercializing patents that professors there developed. 
one of the professors developed this uh, mechanical process for reversing the cure in, in tires so to make them recyclable but to actually make them back into a, a compound you could mold again and uh, having worked in polymers my, my buddy thought you know this would be of interest to me and uh, so he asked me to help him open a, a facility here in Windsor and uh, so I kind of jumped from what I was doing to that and that was I don't know six or seven years ago maybe more now um, and, and in the course of that journey, I just had this opportunity to uh, purchase a tire recycling plant here in Windsor and actually make the, the raw product, the crumb that this process used. And uh, so that was three years ago, and, and here we are. So I don't really think that a lot of kids grow up thinking about, I want to be a tire recycler. <laughs> it's not really the glamorous uh, thought that one goes through one's head, but uh, it's an important function, and we can talk a bit more about that as we go. But... Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting journey to end up owning this business that that plays a small part in a in a, in a hugely important part of the circular economy and the recycling of of things that are hard to recycle. Yeah, we were talking before we got on the set about and one of the things we've talked about lots of times about like how business and what you do for a living and how you can give back to the world in like its own little way. Like, what good are you putting out? And I like to believe that I'm helping people to get fitter so they're healthier, they stay longer, they don't, you know, bear down the uh, the medical system. But I think like, like with this, like talking to you, tires, like this, and this is not just, this is our, our normal prop, everybody. We don't have our feet on a tire because Kyle's here, but I know it makes you feel more comfortable as you analyze, <laughs> as you analyze it. But uh, <clears throat> like how many hundreds of these like tractor tires, monster tires, like, that's mostly what you're dealing with, right? You're not really dealing with car tires so, so much? So two companies. Granulum is the traditional passenger tire recycling business here in Windsor. So we process passenger tires locally from all, mo almost all the shops in town. Uh, and then Rubberjet, which is uh, Rubberjet Canada. It's a division of Rubberjet Valley out of Italy. They developed a really innovative process to recycle these big tires um, you know, people don't really understand maybe the construct of the tire, but there's a lot of steel inside a tire. And the bigger the tire, the bigger the steel cables, the more steel content. It's really hard to cut up. Like we, we cut up uh, passenger tires. Right. Just, I can tell you just drilling a hole through one of these to run a rope for the gym was like, I could not believe it, the process it took to get through that thing. The rubber is incredibly hard and durable. And then the steel inside makes it a real, real challenge to try and shred mechanically. So Rubberjet Valley has a process where we use high pressure water to actually blast the rubber off of the steel and recycle the tire that way. So we deal with both, um, just depending on you know, the, two, the two companies. So they, they're they similar, but they don't compete for business. They, one focuses strictly on, on big tires and one on passenger tires. It's crazy how they use water. We use water to blow up bombs like to implode bombs basically right because it hits them tears them apart so they can't strike like to tear apart like it's just it's crazy and that and maybe one of the easiest natural resources to come by yeah and it's like it's completely recycled we filter all the water there's no rubber left in the water we don't discharge anything it's at room temperature it's inert it's just super high water pressure so high that it'll disintegrate the rubber but not high enough that it'll cut the steel so we have completely clean rubber there's no other contaminants in it and it's a really novel way of uh, taking care of a really difficult thing to to recycle. And, you know, we focus on the mining sector for that that process because mining tires are the biggest of the big tires. Biggest tires in the world are literally four meters high. 
6,000 kilos when they're new, cost over 100,000 US dollars per tire. And what do you do with something that big, that tough at the end of its life? So um, that's kind of where RubberJet started its investigation of technologies to, to address those in particular, which was really interesting to me. Very cool. So at some point, like you, you go through school as an engineer and probably just like a lot of your classmates, you end up working, like you said, at Ford. And I, I know you were, you were doing something to the, with the design of cars and, and things yep. of that sort. So how, like at some point, and I, I would assume that job probably pays decent, like at, at some point, how did you decide like, hey, I'm going to go like, I had to make that tough decision too. And I wonder like, what drove you? Was it the boredom of the job? Was it like wanting to do more for the environment? Like what was it or a culmination of probably a lot of things? I, I had no desire to be an engineer. I didn't even know growing up in, I grew up in a very small farm town in Saskatchewan. No idea what an engineer was. I never met one. Like the word, everybody thinks you're a train driver, right? So <laughs> a train driver. I, as a kid, I, I had a, a passion for and, and, and I could see you driving a train, just so you know, <laughs> thinking about it, now, it one of these the worst, uh, yeah. worst choices, I suppose. But uh, no, I, I was good at art, actually. I mean, I was a good student, but I really loved drawing. My dad was a truck driver. And uh, so I used to go on long road trips with him. And a lot of time spent in the truck, I just draw because he got nothing else to do for hours on, on end. And uh, so I kind of got into a passion of drawing vehicles. And I decided kind of at an earlier age, I, wa I want to be what I know now it would be called a stylist. Um, but, you know, living in a town of 800 people in the middle of the prairies in the 80s, went to the guidance counselor and said, hey, I want to I draw cars. I want to make cars. And you go to an old catalog, old calendar for a, for a university. And she looked it up and said, oh, mechanical engineer designs cars and gears, blah, blah, blah. She said, oh, well, you should be an engineer. I went, okay, I'll be an engineer. And that kind of went in the database and locked it in. And I just decided at that point, I guess I'll be an engineer. So met my now wife, actually in my final year of high school, I moved to Edmonton for grade 12. That's where my dad was living at the time. And uh, thought I would go to University of Alberta. And I met my wife, who's actually from Windsor, but was living in Edmonton at the time. And she said, oh, if we want to design cars, you should go to the University of Windsor. Windsor's the auto capital of Canada. And I went, okay, where's Windsor? Like, never heard of it other than She could Windsor have told you to go anywhere you would have gone. Fair point, As an 18-year-old yeah. boy. <laughs> exactly. Eh? Yes, yes, I will go there. Yes, sure. Yes, that is, that's, my, that's a great idea. Good thing she had good advice, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I decided, okay, well, that's, that's the automotive capital of Canada. I want to design cars. So I'll go to University of Windsor for engineering. And so I did, and I distinctly remember the moment I was in one of our early, you know, first years all general, everybody takes the same courses, and I don't know, we we're, were doing something with basic gear design and some simple calculations one day, and the prof was kind of a nice guy, and I remember sitting there going, well, this is cool, but I asked him, like, when do we get to the design part, like the, the drawing part of all these courses, because everything up to this point has been math. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I want to design cars. I want to draw cars. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm in engineering for that. And he goes, nope. <laughs> wrong, wrong program, buddy. And again, at that point, you know, this is 91, 92. I started school in 1990, I guess. There's no internet to consult to understand this kind of things. But as it turns out, one of the three top automotive stylists factories for churning out designers is is in detroit it's 
it's the uh, uh, Center for Creative Studies. Didn't know. I, I got close, but I didn't know that at the time. But at that point, again, I'm there on student loans. My, I come from a pretty modest background. I'm paying my own way. I, I can't change programs. I've set my path. Now, happens to be I'm okay at math and, and okay, good with the curriculum. So I got my degree, and my best friend at the time, his dad worked at Ford, so he got me a job at Essex Engine Plant as a co-op student, and I worked my way through that. And I backhandedly and actually ended up working in this styling studio for the 99 Mustang through a, through a program for, for um, young engineers at the time. So I kind of got to do what I wanted to do, not actually as a stylist, but I was working right in the styling studio with the stylist. And there was just like six or seven of us that worked in the studio at the time. And those guys saw that I could draw a bit and I got to go to some of their classes. They were actually teaching at, at CCS for uh, as grad students. And you know they were the superstars of the world as automotive stylists like it's harder to be an automotive stylist in the world than it is to be a professional athlete and you don't know that at the time but you think how many car companies are there and then how many studios each of those car companies have you're talking about 50 60 people at any one time in the world they're stylists it's the elite of the elite like you have massive design talent which i did not so um but yeah i got to do that and then from there I spent about, I guess, a year working in the States and doing some really cool, fun stuff. I got to work in special vehicles after that and do support all the race programs Ford did for a little while and work on the GT90 and the Lightning pickup at the time. And so that was cool. Like, as a young guy, you're you're traveling to design shows, and it's fun. It's 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 the heartbeat of kind of what you want to do, and you're around it, and you get to know these guys. I thought you were going to see the heartbeat of America. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong company. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't think that goes. Um, and then after that, you know, the the reality of real life sets in. Is like, all right, well, you need to go back to Essex Engine. That's where you're from. You've kind of had your tour of duty over here. And I went back to the plant, and uh, they said, all right, you know, this is kind of the end of your two-year internship. What do you want to do? I want to go back to the studio. That's I loved it there, and they went, "Yeah, you're you're going to work in the plant for the next foreseeable future. We can't see how we can do that for you." And after a year, I went, "Not for me. I quit." So I had to work for another company. Some guys that I went to school with were at, and I just started then pursuing things that interested me from an intellectual standpoint. So parts of the job. Yeah, again, I'm an engineer at this point. I, I'm not resolved to the fact, but there's a lot of elements that are creative in engineering that, that did appeal to me and did stimulate my brain in that sense. So you are finding creative solutions for, for interesting problems. And, you know, when you kind of excel at that in some way, then people ask you to help them with other challenging problems where you have to think out of the box. And so that's really what, what I liked about that part of my my career was was really solving problems and, and thinking about things in a different way and looking at problems in a in a different way. So I, I pursued those opportunities through my career versus you know just staying at Ford or staying at Siemens or I wanted to move on to the next challenge that kept me engaged intellectually in, in whatever pursuit it was. So. Um, 
Yeah, I kind of bounced around a little bit, you know, five years here, six years there, doing different things, taking on different roles. Of course, this is your experience game. They want you to do more managerial work, more um, company oversight work and working with younger people. And, and that's that can be fun, too. Um, <clears throat> and then it kind of circled back. I kind of got burnt out of automotive completely because you get to a point where you're no longer doing a lot of creative stuff. You're just doing business management stuff. And like I was flying to Mexico once a month to sit down with my client and discuss, you know, part prices over tenths of pennies. And that's just mental torture for me. Like the business side is important for sure, but that's not what I got into it to do. And I was just, the travel was too much. My kids were young. Um, going back and forth to Mexico a lot. That's where most of my clients were at that time. It just kind of starts to grind on you and, and you don't see the purpose in it anymore. You know, you're making money for your company, but you're not really getting ahead to the point that it justifies being gone all that time and spending all that time on airplanes and, and stuff. So um, I got out of automotive completely. I went into some, some consulting, which um, I friend of mine that I went to university with she worked at this consulting company and thought there would be a good fit for me but again it almost turned into like um, and I didn't know anything about the role as as to how engineering consulting firms work but like you got to account for every 15 minutes of your day and charge it to a client like lawyers do and again that was so much administrative work and, and seeing business in a different way that it didn't suit me so when my buddy called up about this tire recycling thing that that's interesting that's new that's revolutionary that's something i could really sink my teeth into and here we are here you are <laughs> and, and like at some point you decide basically like you got to go all in like i'm gonna assume this is a, this is a rather big investment the projects that the place is huge your time not even not even like financial investment even just your time your commitment to be completely invested to get this thing going because it was like basically from the ground up right like it didn't really exist yeah like from what i've known you had one little machine yeah, and yeah exactly your the the tire recycling business in in windsor before was was uh hit and miss but it wasn't run like a the way i see a plant to run i see it as like an automotive plant you run production you turn the machines on and you don't start the you don't stop them you you try and meet your customers' expect expectations in terms of throughput and efficiency and everything, and uh, the business just wasn't run like that before for for all kinds of reasons, and that that's fine. But that's not why I took it over. It was um, uh, you know a, a huge investment in time. It, it's definitely hats that I had never worn before. Owning the business, having my own employees, as you know, making payroll when you first start. Yeah, it's it's all consuming it's 24 7 um it's boy it, i think you, you you always hear this said about people when they start businesses and after the fact like if if you knew going in what it would take to do this you would never do it you just you you go in with an ideal and a focus on a goal but then there's so many other elements around it that are required to make it successful but isn't it weird that we would think that, and I would agree, however, I would never go back. Like, yeah, you know, if yeah. I knew what I knew then, what I know now, I would not have probably done this. Right. However, being where I am and 
having been through it and done this and wherever we are and on our way we're both you know this is not the final stop for either of us but like i wouldn't go back i would still i'd still like be happy to make that jump i guess like it wouldn't change things. Maybe maybe a couple of fucking things here and there yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I would do things different, but you're right. I mean it it not the autonomy portion of it because you can you can maybe have that in a lot of different roles, but knowing that success or failure, good, bad, and different, you've built your team, you're seeing people succeed. Um The whole becomes bigger than you. You see people that invest themselves into your business's success. You know, they give to the company like you gave to your company in the past. And when it's, I, I think when it's especially small and you're connected to it every day, that it's profound. Like, I, I, I can't say how much... Um, I respect and I love the people that work for me because, you know, it's more than a job to them too, which is amazing because at the end of the day, it's not their company in that sense, but they treat it like it's theirs and they give you everything they have to make your dream come true, which has become their dream too. And, and, and that's, that's spectacular. And, and that is some, that is the drug that I think would be hard to give up to just go back to working for the man kind of thing the you know ford and you know how many thousands of employees they have you're just a number yeah it's the challenge as we grow to like not that we're any close to growing like ford but the challenge as we get you know two gyms i was able to see everybody all the time all the staff we just to this one third gym just adding that little extra wrinkle has made it where i can't see everybody nearly enough and it's like the struggle is to keep that family that mission orientated where people will literally like die for you i guess in lack of a better word I heard you talking to Dan Goodman about that uh, on, on a couple podcasts ago as well. And, and I, you know, you're physically in different locations. Um, you know, we, we have 20 employees, plus or minus, when we're, you know, running two shifts. Um, and a lot of people that come work there, I mean, it's young. It's, you know, recycling tires isn't, isn't glamorous. So there's a lot of young people that work there. It's a, maybe a first or a second job or, 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 you know, a step along the way for some of them. A couple have been there for a long time. But, um, you know, you start to get to know them. You know, they know their families. Like one of my shift supervisors had his first kid while he's working for you. And you, you know, he's 22, 23, 24 years old. You kind of, it takes you back to that point in your life and what your job meant to you while you're trying to put food on the table for your little kids and everything and it's this obligation to them now to make sure that they can succeed in life and not just at the job but just you know sometimes a paycheck's a paycheck and it's important and and you have commitments in your life and you don't want to um you don't take advantage of that right like you want to respect what they're giving you and um so all of those elements, which you and I have talked about this a lot in the gym, I don't do well with human emotion on a on a daily level. It's hard for me to process a lot, but you have to respect that. And it takes me way out of my comfort zone as a business owner to um, interact every day with people's personal issues. And 
It's funny because then you you become my therapist, right? Every, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, six a.m. I got to give you my 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 emotional data dump, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and put that on you, and you just smile and go with it, and make me laugh again, and I'm off for the next day. But um, yeah, like the the things of the job that aren't what you have a passion for, but are necessary to succeed, and and you know, my wife gave me the term for how I. I guess naturally approach leadership in, 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 in running the business. Um, you know, that servant leadership. I fully believe and know that, you know, my leadership team knows more about their jobs than, than I could ever know. My production manager, she's absolutely amazing with people on the floor and, and will work them under the table every day. She's not afraid to go to the floor and work every day if she needs to my maintenance manager is like a, a genius at machine repair and solving mechanical problems and keeping the plant running and like i can't do what they can do that's not my skill set and they're so necessary and then my office manager she's a whiz with the books and i don't you know i i, I bought a business but that's not my background you know accounting and and looking after the the dollars and the cents every day and and bill payments and that stuff she keeps all that amazingly on track so you have you you bring these people around that are are better than you at but better than you are at what they do and you have to rely on them you have to build this level of of trust with them but you also have to ensure that you're giving them what they need to do their jobs so they can succeed too and that's kind of how i you know manage a lot of my day is tr just trying to figure out Okay, how do I keep the best people around me working at their best? And then, you know, what I need to do for my side of the business is, is not second to that, but you have to make sure that, that your team has everything they need because they contribute as much or more to the organization at the end of the day than, than you do. Yeah, no, I think you're 100%. That's a lesson for everybody in all, like whether that's your coach in Little League Sports or running yeah. a monster business like leadership your job as the leader is to maximize the potential of everybody you have there so that you can go towards that that mission you know the objective yeah. the end goal whatever that might be and i think that's where a lot of leaders go wrong they get so busy trying to do the tasks rather than how can i make this task go easier how can i make it go faster how can you know how can i make them enjoy the task right too which is another you know, if they enjoy what they're doing, and sometimes it's 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 like mind blowing to me some of the tasks people like enjoy doing, right? Like, there's some tasks around here that I I'm like, you like doing this, and they're like, why are you so like? Oh, no, I love doing this. Okay, yeah, go then do it. Here's more of it, you know. And then that gives you an idea that like, you know, we we said Jacqueline at the start because we were joking about uh, a prank you pulled on her, but you know, like we realize that Jacqueline is really good, excels in these tasks, and I really thought she'd be good at these tasks. But I keep giving her these tasks that I thought she'd be good at. Why am I not giving her the things that she's proving she is good yeah. at, right? And that's like where the leadership and sometimes sometimes it'll take you three, four months and, and at the employees like regression sometimes because you're forcing this Yeah, you're you know, holding this them back or... square peg into the round hole type thing. And sometimes you gotta give them tasks that actually you like to do, right? Because there's too much to do right. for you. And sometimes you have to take on the crap that you don't like doing. And for me, that could be, um, uh, you know, so tire recycling is highly regulated, legislated. We have to do... And now, a word from our sponsor. 
<laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> we, we've got to do like annual reports on what we For those listening, in. that's margarita <laughs> pouring in there, not a... Sounds awful. <laughs> um, there's a lot of reporting we have to do. So sometimes i got to generate reports, and it's just data crunching. And, and it's not hard. I know exactly what needs to be done. The data is at my fingertips, literally. But you know it's going to take you three or four hours to sit down and just shut the door and do that work. And God, I will put that off for weeks because you know it's going to be just four hours of mind-numbing work. And it's simple, but it, I would rather give that to somebody else, but they can't do They're, you know. I need to do that. That's my top task as a as the as the business owner there. So, you know, my other stuff that needs to be done. Okay, you gotta hand that off, or you, you gotta swallow some of that that stuff sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the joys of, of learning what it's like to to run a business. Yeah, for sure. So let's flip the script a little bit. So gotta okay. make an admission to you. So. When uh, you've been a client for, well, over a year now, right? Like just, just over a year, just mm-hmm. celebrated your anniversary, okay? I got you nothing for it. You got me nothing. <laughs> I, I wrote just you gonna, on this I was just going to mention that, but that's Wait, fine. Yeah, that's so fine. I'm like, I put out the episode, Walk It Like a Talk It. And you and I have been, you know, we talk every day. We're in here all the time. And I knew that you had, like, you and I had uh, contra- contradicting opinions on a few things you know the vaccine covid some of those things that were really hot button topics that you and i trained all the way through like during this and i really did my best just like you said i don't want to talk about religion or race or like (laughs) i do my best to kind of avoid those things with all clients not just you but then i i knew that you were listening to the podcast and this episode was coming out and we where we just said what we what we thought about a lot of things and i remember thinking man i hope he doesn't listen to this episode and then you sent me a message. Hey, I listened to episode whatever number that was. And I was like, oh, no. And we got lots to talk about on Monday. And I'm like, oh, that might have just ruined this relationship. <laughs> right? But then you walked in. And this is what I love about you, I guess, is that like you walked in. You're like, man, that was so awesome to hear you say this or hear you say that. And did you think about this? And it went for me. Like I came in. And that's and that just shows us humans, too. We build these stories up in our head that we're going to have this big encounter when it actually turns out to be a positive encounter. And probably made us closer friends because we have better discussion and more open discussion so like i was i was super nervous about that to go when it came out in front of you and then when you came in that next monday it was like i went home to danny i'm like oh it was amazing i did the best training session and since it's been even better so i respect that about you and i was worried about that so that's what it comes down to though and and i think that's okay so you sent me that uh speech from the general Whatever, I, sorry, I don't know his rank. Yeah, but. I think it was a general. It was a speech has been going around everywhere. You've probably seen it right. up here. Um, you travel in my circles. <laughs> yeah. If you're on my side of the... <laughs> so the guy got the Vimy Memorial Award, a Canadian general, and he gave this speech about how to make Canada great again, which, you know, the phrasing just is... It's annoying. But I get his point. Um, and um, some of it's, I think, in my opinion, comes from... A, a man that has lived his life in the service, but I respect wholeheartedly the fact that he has lived his life in service to our country. A, a bit of his, some of some of it, I I wouldn't agree with completely. But the thing that touched me the most about it was what he talked about: um, the the lack of thought most people give to serving your country, and not in any grand way. It can be. Um, volunteering at your local 
soup kitchen or animal shelter or it's, it's giving your time to something bigger than you maybe something that doesn't really directly affect you personally but affects the lives of other people and those kinds of thoughts um, that position in life certainly I know you agree with because of what you did for a living before this and um, our ability to talk as we do at least three days a week um, candidly comes from a position of respect um, I respected you from before I met you so when you have a level when you start a conversation respecting the person across from you whether that discussion devolves into something that you fundamentally disagree on you can have a respectful conversation and if you have respect at the start of it at least you're open to listen to that person's perspective because you go this guy's not a crackpot I know he's not ultra this or ultra that. What's behind their perspective on whatever the topic might be? Maybe that can inform me as well. And that's what I love about having intelligent conversations about somewhat controversial potentially topics or hot button topics, as you said, um, with people that I respect and can people that can articulate their point of view and I can listen to it. I still may not agree with you on everything, but probably not. At the end of the day, <laughs> I'm not going to want to fight you over it, right? I can walk away and go, okay, these are things that we're not going to agree on. But it doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean that we can't agree on 17 other things. And that's where dialogue in, in the world in general, I think, has stopped um, working on a fundamental level. And that's, you know, it. It kind of goes back to some of the things I mentioned in my little type up yesterday for you was, you know, is with my own kids and that. If, if you can teach your kids to be able to have uncomfortable conversations yes, critical with thinking. respect and critical thinking and appreciate somebody else's viewpoint, it's the only way we're going to solve big problems. Finding the middle ground. Nobody seems willing to find middle ground anymore. It's either I'm right, you're wrong, that's it. And until you come to my side of the fence on every issue, you're an idiot. Yeah, it was like that got amplified. We, we took this, like, these the issues that came in the last couple of years, and then we also took away people who weren't communicating. So we took these very, like, sensitive topics and then stopped people from talking. And then it was like when people came back to talking, it was like, and the only way you're talking is really through your social media stories. Which That's is it. like is not really communication. Like so, like, so having those, I think, yeah, I think you hit it right on. And like, I know that's a huge goal of your of your family and your household. We've talked about that, but with us too, with you and I, I think it's big that to recognize. Like, I remember having a conversation you and I about uh, dress codes or something, and your opinion was coming from raising two daughters, you know, and I'm raising right. two sons. So of course we have a different view and a different experience and a different you know all the background the basis of everything that we're saying is coming from two different sides of the world even though we both grew up as as young men at some point right, right? yeah a long time ago for you not <laughs> a pretty long time ago for me <laughs> but yeah, i grew up in black and white <laughs> in, in the wild west <laughs> as you see as yeah. as you see as cowboy but yeah i think like that's another thing 
to to have a conversation about like yeah okay am i talking to Irvin, who's you know a visible minority am i talking to him about race like his you know he went through things in school that i only heard about right like there's always that different background that we're coming from and i think we don't maybe most of us myself included i think probably you would even admit that we don't put enough thought into where the other person's uh basis a thousand percent we always want to be right right we, we we're always talking at people um and with the way communication happens mostly today it's you know through a text or through a tweet or which has no nuance to it whatsoever it has no tone inflection smile you you can't there's no subtlety to text typed conversation and God, I remember when email first started and how much trouble I got myself in because, as you know, I communicate through sarcasm and with a with a smirk sometimes. And you quickly realized 20-some years ago, like, you can't type like you talk because all of that is yeah. lost and people misconstrue what you mean. And you when you read the words and you read, your, read it back to you five minutes later, you're like, oh, Oh, that's not going to go well. You know? and, but, <laughs> yeah. but we've we've lost that self-awareness even of how people can misconstrue what we say. And I think sometimes in, in the need to feel heard and need to feel validated in our own position, we forget to give that same validation to the other person. We just want to be heard. But we forget, so does that person, right? And whatever the topic is. And, and I'm certainly no expert at it. I'm, I'm terrible at it myself. But again, when it comes back to you and me or having conversations with my kids and my wife, and when you start with that level of respect, you can have it. You know, but if you're online, I could be the ultimate troll because I'm not actually there to hear the other people. You know, I'm just there to put somebody on blast for amusement's sake. But that's that's the yeah. toxicity. Nor are you brave. Like, you know what I mean? That's like such a cowardly yeah, it way is. To, it absolutely to go is. about it. I, you yeah. know what? I even found with the mask, like, when I decided to take my mask off, it was one, I didn't believe in it. But like another thing behind it was like, I was like you said, I was finding that I was saying things to people in the gym and they're looking at me like, like looking like they're going to cry after. And I'm like, I, I'm like thinking like, that's what I, I haven't changed. I'm, I talk the way I talk. And I'm like remembering like, usually when I say these things, there's a giant smile happening at the same time. And now people aren't seeing that. And I'm like, you know, you could lift a little bit heavier or like what? did you not sleep last night you know yeah. like and people are like oh I'm like so taken back by my comments like it just shows and now you that's just us in person and like you multiply that when we're going to be on on a text message or an email and yeah text messages like anything anything remotely sensitive these days i either send a video message or i like get on a phone call because it can be it's know. it's far more nuanced than than what words can convey being typed so so yeah, I mean, back to that episode that, that you referred to. I mean, I, 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 I loved it because I think if I remember right, it was you and Danny talking about a number of different topics. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with, with you on everything, but like, who does? But it doesn't really matter because it gave us something to talk about. About okay, wh why do you think this way, or why do you feel this way, and. And I think there is always common ground for the most part on a, on, on a number of, of these topics. And as long as at the end of the day we can walk away and respect the other's viewpoint as to why you believe or do what you do or think and, and, and vice versa, then we go on living our lives because my choices don't necessarily affect you and yours don't affect me and 
Would I yeah. do it the same way? No, but that's okay. That's what makes at the end of the day, that's what makes the world go round too. Yeah, so. and it's you know that with the cancel culture and everything that's happening, it's made it so that it's very hard to have true friendship and conversation because you you stay so surface based with so many people because people are that was kind of the point of that episode was yeah. like Danny and I had these conversations in our garage because we're the people we trust the most you know in this world is, is your spouse probably right for most part right and but we had these conversations but we're terrified to have them in front of people I'm terrified I have a forum to speak opinion and to get people to listen and to engage but I worry about what I say on here because I'm gonna get canceled, right? Like, like yeah. that, I'm trying to get away from that in my life. It's and it's it's not gonna be at the, it's not gonna be, and I'm trying to make it also so it's welcoming that conversation from the other side of that particular topic is welcomed as well, and that's what I hope I can do with this podcast going forward. I have nothing controversial to say. You nothing controversial. I'm not trying to drag that no, out of I'm you not, right now. Not. Don't worry. But uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I think. The, I mean, I always think back, like, if the media that exists today existed when I was young, and and it was focused on me, which, why would it be? I'm, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I can't imagine being a young person that had any attention focused on them. Think of the stupid shit we did when we were kids. You learn so much through your mistakes. And I think young people today must walk around without knowing it because they don't know any different. But we can see the difference between their world and our world at that same age. They must walk around like having to be in bubble wrap all the time for fear of being canceled of saying something inappropriate that they can't take back because now it's been recorded or uploaded or like the magnification of your mistakes as a young person or not as a young person but as a celebrity or as a as a leader uh, as a politician whatever the case may be one false move and you're done like you must live in some sort of bubble of fear sometimes and that's no world for us to make progress like you have to be able to learn from your mistakes and certainly i think there's a much better job being done today of pointing out those mistakes but they need to be pointed out in private versus the public humiliation that so many young people go through it can only it, it could just be in, in your own social circle it doesn't need to be media or, or celebrity or or fan gossip or stuffing but just think like you and 20 friends are all share a, a, some social social network and you say or do something stupid or offensive or you you make a bad joke god knows i've made a million of them in my life right and if you can't like that that hurts somebody when you say it and you see that hurt and you can take it back or make it amends with that person but if that's not captured on video and it goes out to 300 people in your school now everybody knows you're an asshole for life like how do you grow from that like 
So, you know, we make a lot of criticism and judgment on this generation of always being politically correct. And, well, how can they not be? Because they can't learn from their mistakes or they'll be vilified. So, yeah. you know, I think it cuts both ways. And we only like to criticize young people for being ultra inclusive not not inclusive that's other but ultra safe in their opinions and and not taking a position and not pushing back and well how do they know when when it's okay to push back because they see other people pushing back against something unrelated but in a similar way and 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 they're crucified for it so i i think like it's not all their fault in the sense that they have to be so guarded in what they do like you get to work point in my life for I don't really care yeah but you know yeah. like what you said about them and we you know we're, there's a bunch of parents talking about everybody getting trophies you know at the, our football last week and I'm like well, you got, we're all bitching here but we're the ones who made this it's my generation right now my age group yeah. we're the ones that are really fucking these kids up with like all this like over and above inclusivity like, like inclusivity to me means no matter where you're from, what you do, what you look like, you know, what you believe, like you're included and that should be celebrated for you being an individual. It doesn't mean that everybody is the same. Like that's, that's the opposite. That's conformity. Like we, you and I are different right. and it's okay that you're different than me and I'm different than you. That That's great. Actually. Like you said earlier, I think like our, my generation is really screwing this up and saying like, Hey, everybody here needs to be the same. We need to all do the same thing. Same, the same, same, the sing the same prayers go to the same places, you know, not celebrate this, not celebrate this, or celebrate this, and not, like, it's like, just let everybody just be a little bit, and, like, celebrate the fact of that, that we're all in this together. I think we're missing that out, too, and I, like you said in the communication, it reminds me of, like, the people that just want to be heard. There's also another fine line I find in the self-aware, and I, like, with you, you said I'm your, uh, your morning bartender Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I think there's a fine line where people, and I find this sometimes when I vent to you or I tell you a problem, doesn't mean I want advice. You know, like sometimes it's just, I just need to talk it out and I'm talking it out to you. It's that fine line between, because advice can be taken at the wrong time. Uh, Advice to say, I give advice to you can also be taken as like, you get guarded against it. It's like almost like a criticism of you. Sure. Right. Sometimes it's just the fact that like, I know there's mornings when you come in here, I just like, you know, like, yeah, thankfully yeah. you've never me, given me any advice. Yes, I, I what advice did I give bad. you? Shred the rubber. Shred the rubber. <laughs> Just pick that up. Shred the rubber. Rubber. <laughs> I could have made a very, a very, very poor joke about rubber there, but yes, never been my thing. So let's just leave it at that. Move on. But yeah, <laughs> so like, you know, I think that's a fine line. Like, when not everybody needs advice all the time, like, or your opinion on the matter. It's just like, let no, them talk. And, and you have done a great job in, in, like, immediately. I don't know. Like you said, it's been just over a year, but for whatever reason, the second I met you and, and uh, after one conversation, I'm like, I can trust this guy. And I just come in and, you know, it, it, it's funny when, when Joe or Corey or whoever's uh, training me and you're not around. It's completely different. Like, not, they're great guys, but, like, I don't even know what weights I lift, right? You keep track of all of that for me. I'm just there, and I'm I'm not thinking. And I think I told you this when we first started working out. I want to come in in the morning. I have to think about my work all day long, 24-7. I need an hour where I can turn my brain off. And sometimes turning my brain off is just bitching about whatever. And you're just like, yep. Let's keep going. And and it is so wonderful to be in that. And I feel so comfortable and, and 
it, it's, it sounds a bit soft, but like it's a safe place for me to come in the morning and just get done what needs to be done for me physically and mentally without any of that and and it's done and i probably tell you the same stories five times in a month and you're just like yep that's like it's <laughs> you do an amazing job at that and that's why i absolutely love coming to this gym well i appreciate that very much and it, like a lot of that is like what i always have said on the podcast fuck all for a swat guy like the end of the day all that stuff that's that's weighing you down and like it is what it is and your goal is to lose a little bit of weight to get a little bit healthier to live a little bit longer well then all that stuff that we're talking about it's there but we need to push through and get to the goal which is to you know achieve this workout so that the next one can just be a little bit stronger and you've done a good job and so it's not so soft i like i'm your rip yeah, yeah. Right? You're but you're not my Beth. You're not my Beth. You're you're not my Beth. No, <laughs> so you know you're... I think we've discussed this already. Yes. I'm yes. officially the governor. Yes. Yellowstone, the best show on TV. <laughs> the best show He wears TV. the governor hat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm his rip. I'll do, I'll do the duty, <laughs> dirty work for you. You can tell me anything. It goes nowhere. Just take him to the train station. <laughs> and there'll be a few people going there. <laughs> let's talk about you. So let's talk about your fitness a little bit, man, because I know you're coming off the 6WT. Where you lost a little bit of weight, which was awesome. And I think there's lessons to be learned from other people who would listen to this podcast because you were one that you were here. We put the work in three days a week and you yeah. admittedly weren't, uh, you know, the nutrition wasn't something you were really spending a lot of time on. And once you kind of dial that in, that's the, that's, the, that's the key ingredient, man. It's like making yeah. chili without the chili powder. You know, it's going to, you got to improve that taste with the chili powder and it like, you once you started to really boil down on what you're eating and then when i saw that happen you started really watching what you're eating and then all of a sudden you had this extra motivation you started doing extra work and it's just become like it's your thing now like now you are dialed in yeah it, it, i guess it kind of goes back a little bit other than the sugar-free margaritas we're having today these are sugar-free <laughs> they're uh, calorie free which is amazing yes danny but um no i think it kind of kind of comes back down to a bit of the personality I have about how I it takes a little while for me to get fully into something but then when I'm into it I'm, I'm, I'm all the way in and uh, I don't want to talk too much about the spectrum but <laughs> but that's just kind of the way I work um, plus you know I do oddly enough I hope this camera's not adding 10 pounds we've probably added 100 pounds um, you know a few a few years back not that many years back but I was actually doing a lot of triathlons and like half Ironman triathlons. And I hurt myself training for my first full and um, a few other things, life events happened shortly thereafter. I lost my dad and I just, I kept eating like I was training for triathlons, but I was not. And I just packed on a whack load of, of, of weight. And uh, then we moved to Amherstburg and uh, you and I ended up meeting through Sawyer. Thank you, Sawyer. Yes, thank um, you, Sawyer. And uh, I just got to the point where enough was enough physically for me. The job was super stressful. I'd taken over granulum by that point, and I needed something. I needed an outlet for that stress because I knew it was, um, a heart attack wouldn't happen probably. Um, so we started the gym, and uh, it's funny, like living in Amherstburg now for about four years, I'd driven past this gym multiple times a day, and sometimes in the, 
summer. You know, you got your door open at the front. And I'd see people run around the block or, but I'd never been in a gym like this. And from the outside, it's a little intimidating because it seems like hardcore, right? You don't see any fancy machines when you look through the window. You don't see people just going for a little jog on the treadmill. People are picking shit up and putting shit down and putting in some work. And from the outside, initially, I thought, I don't know if that's for me. That might be just a bunch of meatheads in there kind of thing. Then I met Sawyer, and uh, she told me about you, and I was living out here. And, you know, we tried the Movadi thing for a little bit when we first moved out here because it had a pool, and and it was, it was more attuned to what I was it was kind of used to with multi discipline training for for triathlon but it wasn't it wasn't it was nothing you know you're it's a treadmill and I got a treadmill at home I don't need that so when I started here boy the the perception is not the reality in such a great way for me that you are so awesome to work with and the people that come to this gym are so nice and so personable and so supportive and there's exactly the opposite culture of what that stereotypical what you would think in a meathead gym would be like not that there's meatheads here but you know what i mean like what it looks like from the outside led is, by meathead we'll yeah take okay meathead. <laughs> i don't think that's an insult that's a compliment <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it's not <laughs> yes. just a bunch of fucking gorillas like trying to outlift each other and you suck and i can bench more it's so supportive and everybody's nice and it's just, it's been great from the second I started. Now, that being said, I wasn't quite yet in the headspace to do everything that I knew needed to be done. And that's the nutrition side. And that's been the struggle of, of my entire life. It's also why I love doing triathlon training so much because you can eat whatever you want <laughs> with almost no consequence. Um, but, you know, I paid the price when I stopped training but I kept eating and uh, so I love food and I love cooking and uh, but I was paying the price for it so getting just just getting back into regular training was important and it was hard to groove with the changed responsibilities of my life so I think you know you were kindly patient with me on that um, you and Danny both told me what I needed to do and it wasn't anything I didn't know what I needed to do, but emotionally I wasn't in that headspace yet. Um, and then after about a year, I think it was the fact that I went, okay, I've been here near a year and I know I'm stronger than I've ever been. I'm lifting more weight than I've ever lifted before. And I've never tried to be strong in that sense. I've been, and I've, I've always done sports that require lean athletics. So whether it was hockey as a kid or volleyball in high school, university, or, or then, you know, triathlons later in life, that's, that's not any place to be carrying on a lot of muscle. Um, but I knew I was stronger, but I was also still heavier than I'd ever been. And that's not where I wanted to be. And I knew that wasn't good for me long term. I'm not 25 anymore. 29. It's crazy. Well, I think with, with you, there was a big turning point. You came in one morning and you were really tired. You, we kind of, I think we ditched your workout about three quarters of the way through, which we do. I do that with clients all the time. I think it should be done. I think sometimes we get too stubborn. And it's like this is what we plan and we're gonna go with it. We ditched. We had an espresso, and you know, you started talking about a friend of a, a family friend. 
who you have seen and you kind of saw yourself in that person and being in a very you know unhealthy state and yeah. it felt like right around then was when it was like you started to get this little bit more of a drive I find as a coach, it's hard to find that what's going to be the spark. I know this. I know we need to do this, but what's the spark? Because you know, and and that seemed to be a real turning point. So I think people like you're not when you see somebody who's whether it's financially or or emotionally or or health, you know, physical health. If you see somebody that either you you envy in a way, or for lack of a better word, or that you like feel pity for. You can use that as a very good starting point. Like instead of feeling pity, feel like, hey, I'm not going to let myself become that. Or in the envy way, it's like, you know what? Instead of being envious, I'm going to, what is this person doing that I'm not doing to get there? And I think that was a mixture of what happened to you from what I saw. Yeah. And and, and like I said, like after being through this for a year and, and making muscle strength gains, but not ultimately losing the weight that I want and know I need to lose, you're like, okay. You can't do this half-assed. And I, and I know what I have to eat properly. And I, and I know the changes I had to make out in the kitchen to reach my goals. But I just wasn't ready emotionally yet to make that commitment. Because it is a commitment. And it is, you know, it does require some discipline that, that impacts the choices you make socially as well as you know, privately, you go out for dinner with friends, well, you got to make the smart choices. You got to stop the drinking so much. You got to, you got to dial it back. You have to go back to that guy I was seven, eight years ago during the triathlon training that, that was uber disciplined in what I ate. Um, But it, it is work to do it because I don't have it grooved like you do. Like I did do a lot of the exercise to enjoy food. Well, I, you you have to put that off now to get back to where you need to be physically, and I just wasn't I just wasn't quite ready to do it. And, but like you said, there's a couple of outside motivating factors that said, "All right, you can get up at five fifteen every morning now. You've been doing it for a year. You can make this shift, that last movement in your eating in that, and and yeah, I was ready for it. So. Um, it's not always been nothing but positive motivation here too, and you know I love sitting down with Danny and and uh, she tolerates my bad sense of humor for a little bit, but then she gives <laughs> me the medicine that I need, and ultimately I know I'm going to get, and that's why I want to talk to her in the first place, just to have it repeated again, and 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 put that in the file and and commit to it again, and the six week thing is great. In fact, I just had this conversation with my wife today because. We're going out for dinner for my buddy's birthday. We're going to a pasta place. And uh, and we're just talking about, well, what are you going to eat tonight? Because this is a pasta place. And I'm like, you know, no pasta for you. She's celiac. She's got celiac. And no pasta for me because that's not going to work. Like, what are you going to have? So you got to think about these things. It's a little thing, but you still got to do it, right? She's like, oh, you're not eating pasta again? I'm like, no, six weeks. I had my one day of indulgence on the weekend. But... It's back at it, and we're going to go another six weeks. And chunk it out like that. It makes it tolerable. You can measure gains. You can set little targets. And for me, that that really works. So I'm happy to be back at it. I'm happy to be back on the bike again and, and the rides. And 
Let's come with some <laughs> undercarriage <laughs> yeah, some, challenges. Some problems too. in some places. That's, of, but that's okay. That's, that we don't want to know exists. That's part of the journey too. So <laughs> one of the funniest things, the first time Kyle comes in here, the first time you walk in here, I'm telling this like I'm telling Herb, I guess, <laughs> is he says, Tony, my calf kind of hurts from last <laughs> workout. I said, okay, lay down on the ground. And he's like, oh, this trainer knows what he's talking about. <laughs> He lays down, he lays prone so the people at home can understand you're not seeing this. And I grab one of those rollers that looks like a pie roller. And I drive this thing into his calf like I'm the cop trying to get the truth out of him. And you could have had anything three seconds into oh, that maneuver. He screams, ah, what? He has not complained about anything being sore ever again. Every day is a good day at the gym. Every day is a good day after that. You don't want the stick. Yes, it was a pretty funny way to start. It was such an awkward way, too. I, like, I straddled him and then just rolled that calf so it couldn't get away. <laughs> He's squirming. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. There's been some funny times around here. So Kyle, being a fan of the podcast, listen to, uh, to I think we should leave the Jacqueline story out, but we can definitely tell the Corey story. So we have the Corey story. Uh, everybody's, if you ever listen to the podcast, you know Corey is hung like a pop can. That's the, and that he was out for a walk one day. With his dogs and wearing jogging pants and no underwear. Who does that, first of all? And so, some young ladies drive by and yell, nice, nice dick, right? As, as he's passing by. So Kyle gets a hold of this story on the podcast. And he's like, I see Corey every day, right? And I don't think much of it. Three months goes by and I get a, a, a video message from you. And I'm like, I'm in the movies with my kids. I'm like, I press play. And it's like, it looks like you pocket down me because it's just showing the road. I'm like, not, I'm not getting it, right? Because three months has passed. And so I get out of the movies later and I, I press play. And I watch this car driving down. And then I see Corey walking his dogs. And I hear Kyle yell. He doesn't do it as crudely. He's like, nice junk or something. And then he drives by. And Corey gives him this face. And for weeks, Corey was, we were asking, we were hinting to Corey like, hey, what? What was that all about? We sent him the video and he's like, who was this? Who was this? And it was like, oh, that was one of the fucking best moments. Like, we laughed our staff about that video. Oh, I, I, I do like the jokes and uh, it's funny. I mean, so my, my kids are 21 and 23 now. So we're talking 15 to 17 years ago, if if not more. Corey used to work out at the gym in, in LaSalle where we used to go with our kids. They were little, like they were literally in the daycare program. And I remember Corey from that gym. So when I saw him here, I'm like, I kind of know that guy. <laughs> like I used to see him running around LaSalle when I lived there. And we might have talked a few times at that gym. But yeah, getting to know Corey a little bit better and then hearing that story and then seeing him walking his dogs constantly, I was just like, I'm waiting for the right opportunity to do this because we're not like super close he's not gonna know it's me he doesn't recognize my vehicle that's that's for me is the perfect opportunity for a joke which segues into poor Jacqueline yes which I think we should let yeah. her off the, the, the hook yes so, yeah so Kyle <laughs> we have our six week transformation you have to get your scans in your scans, you got to be in your underwear, basically, right? Tights, like basically like uh, spandex types or boxer briefs, I guess. So <laughs> Kyle thinks it's going to be like me in the in the room doing these scans. Hopes it's going to be me, apparently, because what do you Because Because we talk and I'm an asshole and it's going to be funny. 
So if I'm going to strip down to my boxers in this big, beautiful body that I have, <laughs> he needs to suffer the consequences of having to look at this. So make my appointment, go to the scan, and I'm laughing the whole way there. Like, well, Tony's getting an eyeful today because I'm going to stuff my shorts and he's not really... I, we're going to see what he's going to say. So we get to the gym and I go into the room and there's Ben and Jacqueline, who I don't really know. I know her name, but... I don't know her, right? You're committed. You're pot but committed. I, at well, this point. I'm not. I'm not super <laughs> pot committed at this point. But you know, I had gone for a scan back in April at Ben's studio, and it was just Ben, which is awkward enough, but <laughs> fine. So we go into this gym for scan number two, and and Jacqueline's there, and she's not leaving. And I'm like. Well, fuck it. Like, if you're going to hang around, then you're going to get the joke that Tony's should have. So, in goes the sock, up against the wall, do the twirly, twirly scan. And everybody's being, you know, super professional. Ben's just staring at the computer. Jacqueline's, God forbid, probably averting her eyes. I'm like, well, this is maybe going to be funny, maybe not. I don't know. And then Jacqueline's like, all right, I got to take some pictures. I'm like, what the f? All right, take some pictures. Our before and after pictures, just so you know, professional pictures. But not anything that I was really expecting. But the joke's now going better than I really expected. Although, you know, you're wearing black shorts and I can't really see what's being revealed on the camera or not. But then the scan comes through and it's perfect. It, it, it is uh, magic, yeah. Mike. Uh, yeah, so Jacqueline comes to our team meeting. And I know now he's, like, called me, like, giggling like a schoolgirl about what happened. I thought you were going to be there, but I went with it anyway. Right? And I tell Danny, of course, who also loves practical jokes, especially this variety. And and we now in the meeting say to Jacqueline, hey, did, like, Kyle's last scan, I, I said I was there for that one. It was super awkward because he's, like, very, you know, like, and she's like, What? What? And then Danny's like, oh, yeah? Oh, really? Right? Like, Danny's like, for and, and, and Corey. Right. And Corey, of course, is like, what? No way. No way. Right? He's like all into it because he wants to be the only pop can on the block. So so this joke goes on and on. And to the point where Jacqueline's like, listen, like, I, you pay me to be professional. Of course I wasn't looking. And then she has a peek at the scan later. She's like, oh, my God. Right? So we let this go for the whole six weeks. And we're supposed to tell Jacqueline this week. She doesn't listen to the podcast, but maybe I'll just send her a little blurb. And then I got to follow up with the after scan, too. You're like, well, I don't know when the joke's going to end, so. Well, the problem is. Enjoy. If we don't admit this right now, you would have to forever stuff your pants at at any event. But now I'm a little, like, I think I still have to just to (laughs) preserve my own uh, dignity, my, my own ego, because, you know, truth is not. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna go there. Everybody's but... gonna be looking now. <laughs> I wasn't so... gonna go there. <laughs> so, Jacqueline, I'm sorry. I just thought, you know, if you're sticking around for the pictures, then <laughs> give you something to talk about in the meeting, nonetheless. But, yes. Uh... Yes. So, on that note, <laughs> it's been a wonderful episode. <laughs> we stayed away from anything controversial till the very yeah, end. Nothing controversial. Nothing controversial. That. We're gonna have you back on next time, and you're gonna get a little bit more. Into, right. into depth Maybe about we'll, some of these things. I'll turn this tire into something uh, useful again. Get your proper <laughs> coffee table. <laughs> it is nice. It is nice, though. <laughs> it is nice. It's like, what, 300 pounds, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we could take that down, no problem. Yeah. 
Not today, please. No. Not today. Oh, so. but I, before we go, I, I did have some tire facts for you. Oh, okay. Let's so, let's hear so, let's just You gotta, guys got to understand, Kyle. He, like, goes down rabbit holes of everything. Just, it, just you know, people always ask about tire recycling and, and you know, how is it really that a big of a problem? And, and you know, people under, don't really... They're ubiquitous. You see them everywhere. We have an amazing recycling program in Ontario, so tires get recycled, you know, within a few days of it coming off your car, but... To give you an idea of how big an environmental problem tires are, everybody's poster child for the harm we're doing to the environment today are plastic water bottles, right? And this is this is everybody understands that they're floating in the ocean, they're they're recyclable, but they're not recycled, and it's a crazy number. Like I think the number is every four seconds. A ton of plastic. I thought, no, sorry, a thousand tons of plastic go into the ocean. Every four seconds, a thousand tons of plastic wind up in our ocean. That's how bad the problem of, of plastics are in our, our environment. Last, so the data is 2018, but let's, so in 2018, there was 400 million tons of plastic water bottles produced 400 million tons so that's 4 billion kilos of plastic water bottles produced in a year just over tires just tires 19 million tons of tires produced in a year four and a half times the number of tires produced versus water bottles and water bottles are 100% recyclable. They're made from PET. It's the easiest plastic in the world to recycle. Clean it, grind it up, melt it, put it back into pellets, use it for something else. Tires, no, they're cured. They can't be reverse, just put back into tires just by melting them. They don't melt. So we're talking a scale of almost five times by volume, by mass, tires in the environment that are extremely difficult to recycle. That's why we're doing this. That's, just to give you an idea. That's pretty crazy. You're going to have to open a lot more shops. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do, but we're trying. That's good. That's good. So, Congratulations, man, and for the for the difference you're making in the world and for the difference you're making in the, like in my life and then just enjoying and coming in here and training with you. And I'm super proud of your, your gains and losses, but also just happy to have you as a friend and appreciate you coming on here today. It's been awesome. So awesome. Appreciate and it. We got to thank HQ Nutrition. We both took focus today. Your first time with the lion's mane. That's right. Did, did, did it do what I said? No, not yeah, yet. Not yeah, absolutely. Yet. Not yeah. yet. <laughs> Don't look at me no. like that. Okay. And we got it. So go to Tango 15. Go to their website for a discount uh, and get that stuff shipped right to your house. I love that focus. Take it for every single podcast. Helps you dial in for great conversations. And then, of course, thank you to Ian and Kara Murray of Murray Insurance. Guys, continue to sponsor the show since day one. Uh, big proponents of everything that we do in this and help us to do everything a little bit better, including the charity we got coming up, Cruise and Brews. Go to Cruise N, like the letter, cruisenbrews.com if you want to sign up. We got like, I think we have six gyms in already. We're already 24 hours into this thing. We're almost at five grand. So our goal of $50,000, we want to get that with every single gym, fitness industry coming together to make a difference for cancer. So thank you guys and have a great week. Time to do more and be more. 